Every journey begins with a question. Our journey begins with this one. How can we lead to make the world better? Here we explore that question through journeys of great success and accomplishment, confronting challenges and overcoming obstacles with leaders from around the globe whose experience covers a vastly diverse range of background, sector, role and expertise. One common thread unites them all. They are all leaders striving to make the world better. They are all better world leaders. Welcome to the first episode of season three of Better World Leaders. If you're a regular and you're coming once again to spend some time with us, then welcome back. And if this is your very first exposure to Better World Leaders, welcome, welcome indeed. And what a show we have for you to first experience what this community is all about. Our guest today is Brendan Lowe. Brennan is the founder of this just marvellous endeavour called Smart Ass Undies. And Smart Ass Undies is really about bringing a bit of fun, a bit of frivolity, but also some psychology to underwear. And not only having you know, a bit of fun with some words and you know, provoking a little bit of thought, but really everything about the way that Brennan's put these things together is all about making the world better. From you know, the fabric, which is repurposed recycled plastic all the way through to the packaging and even the little stimuli that he puts in the boxes so just to share a quick example with you on my wrist here i have a little black band and you know these things used to be pretty popular especially with charities as fundraisers but what brendan's done with this is he's used it as a cognitive nudge as a little reminder and an action that can be taken to signify doing something differently and changing a behavior which can make you and then I would contend the world better. So this band simply says, no complaints. And the idea of this band is that every time you say a complaint out loud, you just take it off and you put it on the other other hand. And the few weeks that I've been wearing this since I first got some of Brendan's underwear here, yeah, it has this made me think a lot more about am I expressing complaint yeah am i not considering the intention of my words before i put things out into the world and and i think this is part of the genius of the man and his whole endeavor speaks to to this kind of initiative um right the way through everything that he does so this there's a bit of fun there's definitely uh you know sort of a bit of humor uh there's also a little bit of language in 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 this conversation which certainly i'm not adverse to and i hope won't offend you uh it's not the kind of language i don't think is going to off put any young people um but you know it, it's not a completely um you know sort of sunday school conversation if we put it that way uh so look with no further ado here's the conversation with brendan lowe of smart eye sundays Here we are. I'm very excited, really very, very, very excited because I know how much fun we're going to have in this conversation and how much we've got in common. Brendan Lowe, welcome to the Better World Leaders podcast. Thank you very much, Tim. Great to be here. We've had some fun already. As we will get to in due time, there's very little interactions with you, I believe, that are free of fun. But before we get to all the fun and frivolity that you bring to your purpose. Can you just start by telling us where you are today and you know, sort of where you're coming to us from? Well, I'm actually sitting in Lismore today. Right now I'm sitting in a friend's office. I'll take my hat off to Reconico, my friend Craig, who's uh, lent me his space this afternoon so that I could be animal-free, children-free and have good Wi-Fi. <laughs> I should do a disclaimer just in case. I think we'll be fine. They're, they're being very good. But I'm in my home studio today with the wee ones down the hall. So if we, if we get a, su- a sudden interjection, we'll manage it, put it that way. It's often my dogs who love to run in and jump on me and uh, have a little bark and squeal or they then they decide they want to go out <laughs> yep. and have a little bark and let me know. We got a puppy sort of just before COVID and 
for a, a good couple of months, I could bring her in here and she was in that delightful puppy mode of just wanting to constantly be in contact with you and fall asleep on your feet and all that kind of stuff. And then the rapid progression into, I will destroy everything I can get <laughs> yes. my mouth. So. <laughs> She's not welcome in here right now. Shoes, toilet paper, everything. Yes. Oh, yep. Shoes, textbooks, workshop resources, camera tripods. Yeah, whatever, whatever she can get. So Lismore is where about in reference to somewhere that somebody global might know. How far from Sydney? How far from the coast? Play, things like that. Actually, I live in Modenville, which is uh, in the hinterlands from Byron Bay. So where we're based is 45 minutes inland in the hills. From Byron Bay, so Lismore is uh, you know uh, about fifteen minutes away uh, down in the you know sort of the, the walk. Uh, there's full of uh, hills and valleys where we are, but we're uh, just near the coast on the most easterly point of Australia, essentially. Yeah, perfect. So basically, forty-five minutes from Chris Hemsworth's house for all the uh, all the Marvel fans out there. Oh yeah, probably forty minutes from Chris's place. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a direct line. We tap in. Yeah, know, absolutely. Yeah, Chris, if you're listening, just yeah, you know, sort of uh, feel free to uh, you know sort of uh, give us. Well, a interesting you mentioned Chris Hemsworth because, uh, um, and, and which I'm sure we'll talk about later about the half cut initiative and and the work we're doing and supporting them is that Chris Hemsworth, his stunt double, Bobby Holland, he's got a double banger surname is. Uh, He's an ambassador for that, so uh, I think the, um, the the target is getting Chris in some undies and to support the half-cut mission to plant more trees and save rainforests. So, okay, so let's get into it. Having framed where you're at and that you know you, you're going to you know sort of put underwear on Chris Hemsworth and all of these very important things, um, let's let's explore a little bit of the journey that you've been on. In short, you know where do you come from to bring you to be with us today? I'm a Darwin boy, but I'm third-ish generation uh, Chinese, Australian-born Chinese. I grew up running around the bush, actually. Uh, I, I, although I grew up in the capital of the Northern Territory, I was surrounded by bushland. I lived across the road from uh, the largest Aboriginal community in, in Darwin. Early on, I developed a strong connection with you know, the environment, with the wildlife, with habitat. Uh, and that's certainly been a driving force for, for me along my journey particularly with this journey of Smart Ass Undies and a number of the priorities and focuses for it. But, you know, as I said before, I've got, cat, you know, animals and, and children. I've got uh, two beautiful children and I'm married to, uh, you know, a Dane, uh, hence the uh, Viking in the house, and we have two crazy dogs uh, with us uh, from a, a mini fox terrier who's a mini, mini fox terrier who's tiny, and we've got um, a rescue dog who's uh, Kelpie Collie Cross who is the most gentle beast in the world who tolerates uh, our, our mini fox terrier who bullies him continuously. Yeah, wow. Well, mate, you've made my crazy household sound very passive. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, deep, deep empathy, but a great, uh, a great reason to be home no doubt with all of that stuff going on we're absolutely going to get to the to the the smart ass undies story in detail but i think also and and it was one of the interesting you know sort of exchanges in our very early correspondence you know about that certainly at the moment smart ass undies is not your you know sort of your main focus occupationally and you know it's an entrepreneurial endeavor but but i i think and then the more i've gotten to know you and certainly, you know, in, in, in some of the background work, you know, that we did building up to this conversation, I, I think it's it's important for us also to explore your, you know, sort of career holistically to date, because I can see, you know, all of the synergies, you know, and all of the, you know, the sort of the experience that I like to refer to as circular, you're sort of really bringing everything together and the way that you're fine-tuning the messaging in the undies, I think a lot of it, you know, honours all of the time that you've spent in the in the field doing the great work that you do as well. So tell us a little bit about what you do for work. Absolutely. So I'm an occupational therapist by trade, but I'm also a, a trainer. So for the last decade, really, I've been working to train and support staff who support people with an intellectual disability. So I've worked for the New South Wales State Government and uh, now I work for a, a disability service provider, you know, one of the largest in Australia. And I've always had a focus on doing the type of work that is going to improve lives and bring meaning and purpose. So not just that people have 
you know, the basics covered, that they don't just have the roof over their head, food in their belly and get transported around, but that people actually are engaged in something that brings them a life, you know, that, that life is about doing, it's about being, so you're engaged with people and doing things uh, where people, you know, feel like they, you know, contribute and enjoy the company of others. Of course, I think another element of my my background and I guess another hat that I've had is uh, as a martial artist. I actually actually only just stopped running classes at the beginning of last year and actually I stopped not because of COVID, but it was fortuitous that I stopped when I did uh, because I couldn't have run classes very long for for a long time anyway. (laughs) But that's absolutely an element as well that I brought in. And as you said, I really brought in a whole range of elements of my life and my experiences into, um, you know, the, this little gig that I'm running now and, and that I continue my work in uh, disability services. Yeah. And look, I, mean, I think it's one of the great, you know, opportunities that is afforded to us in this hyper-connected era and this this world, you know, I think for, you know, the the brave, yeah, for the courageous, yeah, for the bold, you can have all those hats on. The day of a sort of a streamlined vocation and you sort of signed up at 16 and you retired at 60 and you'd more or less done the same thing or walked a very linear path for a long time. I mean, that, that that's just completely insufficient, I think, in many ways now. And I, this is why I love interacting with people like you because you know, you, you're the living proof of the opportunity that abounds as long as you're prepared to, you know, sort of come into a mindset of abundance and, you know, see opportunity as well as challenge everywhere, but then pursue the opportunity and overcome the challenge. Yeah, I think, I mean, I mean just being, just having, you know, being born in Australia and having a, an, an Australian passport or being able to get an Australian passport puts us in, you know, the top 1% in terms of, you know, access to services, um, and, you know, and, and, and really uh, a level of wealth in the world. We're so fortunate that why not, you know, take the opportunities to explore things, to have a go, to try things out because, you know, we're lucky. We've got a safety net, <laughs> you know, even if you, we, we lost everything um, is that you, we've got a system that takes care of us. Although I have, you know, everybody has moments where they go, oh, you know, a little bit of fear, a little bit of doubt about starting something new. Um, really the risk is really low. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think I'm going to take a segue there just to sort of bring our attention to, you know, I think certainly something that we've explored here before, you know, the sort of the the topic of fear and, you know, in particular fear of failure. But also I think it's interesting a lot of the time looking at people's life journeys and exposure to fear, you know, especially in foundational moments in life, and fear perhaps of an existential sort as confronting as those moments or minutes or hours or days or weeks might be when you're in them. But very often in reflection, they're they're almost freeing um, in the the sort of the elevation of decision-making that you can have in in retrospect, Uh, you know, knowing what that existential fear feels like other fears seem so much more, I don't know, reconcilable, I think is the term I'm going to use. You've had a few brushes with, you know, these sort of existential moments. And uh, if you if you would, I think it would be appropriate to explore a few of those now. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, my, my mindset around life really comes from my post-connection and experience with death, actually, is that uh, I've had a, I've had several near-death experiences, um, you know, uh, a car crash and a motorbike accident and, uh, and you know, a few other things that have happened. <laughs> I have to say I've probably taken some, you know, a, a little bit of risk-taking in my life, but I also sat with both my parents as they died and I had two ends of the spectrum. I had my mother who had a heart attack very fast and I was very fortunate. I was in South Australia at the time and flew up to the, the territory to Darwin and was able to be with her in her last moments. Very quick. She didn't open her eyes again, unfortunately, but I believe that she knew I was there. And the other side of that is uh, um, a, a few years ago, I sat with my dad as my father as he was dying from cancer, so a melanoma, which gives you more time. And you have time to talk about, you know, the things that are really important and to say the things that, you know, you need to say before it's, before you don't have that 
ability to communicate and interact again. It's very much uh, shaped the way I see things about get out there, experience things. You, you, know, you talk about fear of failure. I mean, of course, there are things that people can do that can lead to the end of life. That is uh, a risk in some things. But in a lot of things that we fear is that actually our mind creates this story. Now, I love the acronym for fear being, you know, false evidence appearing real, is that we create stories in our head about how bad it could be. But the brilliant thing about the mind is we also have the ability to create stories about how good it could be. What could happen if I say yes? What could happen if I throw my hat in? And so I, you know, I, I love, and one of the, you know, one of the messages that I not only love, but I've Love so much, I put it on the back of the undies, uh, is Thoreau about not letting your ass go to the grave with the song still in you, is that, you know, most people in their life, you know, when they're at the end of their life and there's some, you know, great research on this and, you know, thousands of uh, interviews have been done with people on on the deathbed and they don't talk about all the great TV they watch. They don't talk about that. Some of them talk about some of their accolades. Um, but the thing that they talk about in terms of regret, uh, they're the things about not fulfilling you know, their passions, not following their creativity, not doing the things that um, maybe they weren't going to make them famous and make them a lot of money, but not doing those things that really, you know, showed their true colors. And, and I think, you know, life is short we only have one that we know of depending on your beliefs (laughs) is that we should get out there and do things and give it a go now while we have time to do that i sat spellbound through through that so thank you very much and again i know we have a lot of shared experience i've had some of those experiences too and yeah they've certainly been activating and propelling in retrospect so I hope I say this graciously, but I'm glad that you've had those experiences because it's brought you to do the things that you've done and to be where you are today, which, yeah, I think we're about to discover, you know, sort of a lot of people are are, going to benefit from. So let us now find out a little bit about Smart Ass Undies specifically. So just, you know, give us a story. Where did this thing come from and uh, what's it all about? Well, I've always been attracted to wisdom you know, in all different forms. And then whenever I read something I, you know, or I hear something, I'm writing down notes or I'm underlining things, those key messages, you know, that help bring you back to what's really important. One of my uh, favourite quotes is by Song Rinpoche, who wrote the Tibetan book of Living and Die, um, about living with the immediacy of death because that helps you sort out your priorities in life. It helps you live a life less trivial. My thing with Smart Ass Undies, actually, I never, if you asked me a couple of years ago that I, you know, said to me, oh, you, you're going to be selling undies, you know, and I would have laughed, you know, my head off because I was never really interested in the undies. I was sort of buy a six-pack and, you know, wear them until they're, you know, falling apart type of guy. But I've always been, I've been thinking a long, for a long time about finding ways to keep triggering and prompting the mind because I've, I have this, you know, a strong belief in, uh, or I'd say a mistrust in memory, uh, that memory is so fallible. I've, you know, I'm saying that I've had these near-death experiences, I've, I've sat with my family and, you, and I have, these, have had these moments where you just go, you know, what is really important in life is to make sure we live it now, uh, to, you know, engage with things that really matter, to engage with people who matter. But, of course, like everybody, you know, I get started in the day and have these days and then, oh, my God, you know, I've got to post this letter, I've got to do my tax, I've got all these emails to catch up on. We get caught up. It's so easy to get caught up in all of the small shit and then lose focus and track of the big picture. So uh, I've got our toilet wall in our home has quotes and little messages all over the walls. And essentially, Smart Arts Undies started there. I, I, I started putting things up for myself, and then I started saying to my children, if anything ever happens to me and I'm no longer here, look at these things on the wall, look at these messages, not only read them, but think about how you can apply them to life. 
And with Smart Ass Undies, I was actually looking around for another billboard because, you know, the toilet's there and you go in, you don't interact with it. Well, you shouldn't <laughs> while you're in the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, keep your head, children, keep your hands down. <laughs> don't touch the wall. Uh, but I was looking for another way. Uh, you know, affirmation cards have been done to death. And, you know, you sort of, they're great, we've got them in our house, but you sort of put them somewhere on a shelf and then you, you stop seeing them anymore. They just sort of disappear. And I was looking for a billboard, something that you engage with, that you interact with, that you use or you touch on a daily basis, but not something that you have to change your routine, you know, for. Because changing routine is hard. So it literally was, as I got on the website, it's a 3 a.m. brain fart. I woke up thinking, oh, what do people do every day? You know, where is a big blank space that can be utilised? And it was like, oh, on the back of people's ass, undies. And I was like, oh, maybe you don't see the message when they're on, but when you take them out of the drawer, there's that message. When you when you take them off, when you put them into the washing machine, when you take them out, when you hang them up, when you fold them, are all of these opportunities to reflect on something, well, to look at something that helps you reflect on what's meaningful and purposeful and what's worth considering in life and essentially i've i've taken a spin-off you know you know i say you know i'm a bit of a thief i've taken the spin-off a few different things words of wisdom from here and there and i've put a little spin on it um, with the cheeky ass humor um with the concept that humor helps things stick you know our brains you know get activated they light up when we laugh when we smile uh, and I've, uh, I've sort of injected those into some, you know, timeless wisdom. <laughs> yeah, and look, I mean, as you've now seen uh, during our little contest that we'll we'll talk about still a little bit later, but we'll get there. I have embraced your concept also, yeah, not only just the undies, but the socks. There you go, first shameless plug. And no, I mean, like you know, likewise, like I stick provocative questions on t-shirts when I'm facilitating because it's it's that billboard and if i could facilitate in my underwear and not be arrested i i'd, I'd give it a go believe me I, I, <laughs> I, got no, I got no shame about that kind of stuff maybe i'm just not engaging with the right clients i don't know um yes. <laughs> but um let's move away from that one as fast as possible um but no i think it's awesome and uh, i love i love this is it you know as i was talking about that circular experience approach i love the combination of you know, like the psychology, you know, with the nudges that you're embedding, you know, you, you don't want somebody to, you know, sort of walk around with their ass hanging out, you know, so that, that, you know, they can show these affirmations to the world. Like this is for you if you're wearing these things. Like this is for you as you pull these things out of the drawer and perhaps you lay them down before you slip yourself into them. So you go, oh, yeah, good one. Like, and and that's all you need. It's like putting the running shoes next to the bed before you go to sleep. So it's a nudge to go for a run in the morning, or at least have to stand there and justify you to yourself why you're not going to do it. Um, but then it's the double, it's the double click because you're using the humor, which is just one of the easiest mechanisms to yeah, interact with memory and, and stimulate you know positive emotional reward as well. So that, yeah, that yeah, as as as, as comedic as you know these items are like there's a bit of wizardry there my friend as well i think i think you're definitely onto something absolutely actually and, and i love that you brought you know when you mentioned the uh, the running shoes at the end of the bed that is a motivator for me that muhammad ali who used to do that wake up he hated running and then he would see the shoes and it would just be it'd be that trigger okay just get up i don't enjoy running but just get up and do it yeah. uh, once upon a time when i ran before my knees started falling apart <laughs> i did that too and, yeah. and that is the that is the idea yeah something that get the mind started particularly you know you know, I, I, I think most people put, you know, clean undies on most days of the week. So <laughs> <laughs> there, yeah, let's not, let's not stereotype, but yeah, most people, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And, of course, the, the other big driver for me is the sustainability front. It's about yeah. um, creating uh, something and putting something in the world that's going to do more good uh, and, re you know, and look at things that are creating harm and actually turning those things around. And you know, turning problems into solutions is uh, what I what I aim to do with you know every aspect that I can 
Well, let's talk about this because certainly this is one of the more you know sort of immediate queries that I had for you. You know, when we were we were first you know sort of engaging around the you know the prospect of, of coming together to create this conversation. It's an interesting one, right? Because I mean, my personal journey with choosing sustainable clothing early on in the piece, I was totally anti anything that wasn't just an organic natural fiber. You know, and, right? You know, I've made this decision. I'm I'm going to be all about, you know, progressively making every interaction I have with the world about making it better. So therefore, everything must be organic and beautiful, and so on and so on. And then, as I you know got more and more into it, and and did more and more research, and looked at you know all of the ways to optimize, as is my tendency, I started to come around to this idea of plastics and recycled produce and you know repurposing materials that you know and unless we had some kind of you know bizarre superpower to click our fingers and just completely remove from the equation we've got to turn a problem into a solution as you say so if you would just just share a little bit of your journey around materials choice and sourcing and you know what's brought you to the point of you know focusing on both plastics and trees because to my interpretation those are kind of the two the two weights on 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 the balance of 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 where you're taking this business oh absolutely and and like you tim when i was starting this journey i was i was convinced that i was going to use a natural fiber you know i was looking i was investing i started looking into you know things organic cotton uh, bamboo micromodal um, and and I thought, like like most people, I think is that natural fibers will be the most sustainable. Yeah. Um, but as I started scratching the surface, I started to learn and discover that it's far more complicated and complex than that. And then, I, you know, when I started to learn about natural fibers and the growth and demand for organic products, that there are that the amount of deforestation that's occurring. Um, that actually was, I'll talk about the tree planting in a moment, but that sort of was the catalyst for thinking about that, becoming aware of, of the environmental damage that's occurring uh, through the apparel industry. That clothing now is one of the largest, you know, contributors to pollution and to environmental destruction. Um, but when people think about the you know, underwear and people I, I still I come across this a lot is people go oh I wouldn't put I don't want to put you know polyester or I don't want to put something made of petrochemical on my bum um, but the reality is if you wear unless you wear you know old school undies or underwear like the the boxer shorts that don't stretch that they're 100 cotton um, if they have any stretch in them at all and they're a bit giving then they've got a petrochemical chemical in it. They've got yep. a elastin or spandex to make them stretch. So that's that's already there. Um, when I um, when I discovered that bamboo uh, again, there's such a huge movement of bamboo being this great fibre because it's a sustainable product. It is the fastest growing grass in the world. Uh, it, it, it grows very quickly which is great, but the process to turn that hard, fibrous plant into a soft fabric um, is highly energy-intense, a lot of mechanical processing and a significant amount of chemical processing to actually turn it into, you know, something that doesn't resemble the original um, material at all. Uh, That's why it feels soft um, and, uh, and, and that it's stretchy and comfortable. Bamboo, of course, is growing mostly in you know in the subtropics. It grows very fast in the subtropics, along with cotton as well, which we, we do grow a lot of cotton in Australia. It's not very sustainable because it uses so much water, not a great climate. But the equator is the place to grow these things. But, of course, the equator is the place where we're seeing the greatest amount of deforestation on the planet. Yeah. And we, we now have lost half of the world's forest. You know, and you know we the, the, roughly we lose the equivalent of a football field um, of forest across the world every minute. At the current rate, we will have all the forest in the world will be gone at the current rate in hundred years. So in in a generation a bit, if we don't change our practices, the way that we do things, we will be without. Of course, the oceans and sea life, you know, the plants in the sea that produce. You know, oxygen as well, but you know the lungs of the earth are in the trees. I was completely oblivious of our impact in Australia 
you know, particularly in first world nations where one of the we we are at the top of deforestation. Uh, we we are cutting down significant numbers of trees uh, for agriculture. So agriculture agriculture plays a big part in this. And if, when I discovered that actually instead of having to take something that is uh, virgin material, uh, 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 that I could take something that is already a problem, uh, the the problem of plastic waste. And the, uh, our underwear is made out of um, uh, recycled plastic bottles. And there's, it's uh, a million plastic bottles a minute are being discarded across the globe in water bottles and soft drink bottles. Uh, a huge problem. 90% of the plastic, uh, our waste in the world in plastic, um, even though we might put it in the recycling bin, it's not currently being recycled. It's yeah. not being turned into new products because there's insufficient demand. When I understood that, for me, it was like, okay, you can actually make underwear out of recycled material and with technology today, you can make it into a high-performance material. And I always say, if you think Gore-Tex, um, a product that is designed to breathe the way that the fibre is shaped, you can shape um, synthetics in ways that you can't do with natural fibres and you can weave it in a way that actually wicks moisture away. The integrity of the material, the issue with petrochemicals in terms of plastics is that they last for thousands of years. So that is a problem, but that's a great solution for producing a product that's going to be durable and will last for a long time. That the longer actually with clothing, um, the, the, whether you choose organic, you know, organic or not organic or, or recycled materials, the way to have you know, reduce impact the most is to have a product that you're going to use and continue to use for as long as possible. The turning over of the clothes is actually one of the most destructive processes. Um, and now we live, you know, we have fast fashion where, you know, there's, I don't know what the percentage is, but there's a, it's, there's a percentage of clothing that actually never gets worn. <laughs> the clothing has actually become so cheap and, and people are consuming it so fast is that people buy stuff, oh, you know, or maybe they wore a shirt once and then it's like, mm, I'm not, you know, um, it goes in the back of the closet and then never gets worn again. That is a problem. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Mate, there's so much in there. I mean, so I mean, certainly the turning point for me, you know, in, in, in my own journey, you know, with what is a base necessity, clothing, right? Like unless you live in a very, uh, you know, sort of, temperate climate in a very tolerant society you know where you can, you can just wander around uh you know without too much of this stuff everybody needs to clothe themselves right um absolutely you know and again in the first world the vast majority of people you know live in a, a position of relative luxury um where you know there is an abundance of clothing you know and it's either extremely cheap and now, you know, sort of designed, you know, from the loom, uh, you know, sort of weaving of the fabric through to the stitching, you know, through to the, you know, the trendness, you know, it's designed to be turned over in, I think, like the worst of fast fashion conditions is monthly, right? Oh, absolutely. I think the cycle for, for fashion these days, it's not, it doesn't, it, it's gone from being seasonal just for the four seasons in the year. But I yeah. think the fashion industry, it's like, you know, every month, 12 different stages. 12 different fashion, stages. You know. Yeah. So this is it. I mean, I, a bit of a revelation here. I actually won the Fashion Victim Award at high school, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I was in the generation that was raised by, you know, magazines like FHM and GQ and so on, you know, in the absence of a father figure, you know, I turned to all these, you know, very dapper looking gents, you know, on glossy, you know, sort of broadsheets in a magazine and would literally go out and buy whatever was on trend and whatever brands were recommended by these editors, right? And at that age, really being, you know, somewhat unconsciously ignorant to you know, how this whole cycle of commerce worked, right? And that continued for a time and I started to get tired of the trends and sort of, you know, sticking with, you know, staples and, and, uh, and just kind of being a little bit more, um, you know, sort of like laissez-faire, I suppose, with what I wore. But the real turning point came when a mate of mine who was running a fashion business at the time 
started to talk to me about this doco that was coming up that he'd seen a pre-release version of that was the true cost. And I'd had some awareness of this, like I'd read some of Naomi Klein's work and this book called Ripped and Torn, I forget the author now, but that was talking about the denim industry and the negative uh, environmental impact of that, particularly in South America, where a lot of the big denim brands were being produced at the time. But the one that really shocked me to the core was the true cost. Yeah, and just, you know, if, if anybody listened to this, hasn't seen that yet, you know, kind of as soon as you've finished this episode, get on to, I'm pretty sure it's still on Netflix, go watch that. Because they really viscerally assault you with very striking visuals of what's happening here. You know, and the toxicity, you know, in the dyeing process and the heaps of decaying textiles that are, of course, just outsourced away from site in the first world to be repurposed or whatever it is. Um, and it's distressing to see the way that that impacts on people's lives, um, but also the way that it impacts on people's mental health, right? Like this constant hamster wheel of, you know, must look cool and going to, you know, sort of cop it from the bully if I don't have the latest thing or I won't be able to go to that party if I'm not wearing the latest whatever. Like, you know, there's a heck of a lot of negativity that that sort of is wrapped up you know within this potent you know sort of potion of uh, of constant consumption mm. and and you know fashion it's primary you know it's a primal instinct for us actually to be attracted to fashion and what's happening what's changing and that it's it's all about acceptance we all want to be part of the tribe and yeah. you know when when it when what the tribe is wearing changes you know we have this feeling that we want to be part of that too and so we want to change as well um you know I, i've got a teenage son who's you know he's 15 and he's right in the thick of that what you described there about you know what he wears is you know we can't buy him clothes anymore uh-uh that's not happening is that you know he he's finding his ways, experimenting what he wears, he's buying his own clothes because of that need. We're driven to want to fit in. And, of course, 15, you know, he, he, not that he admitted, but, you know, the attracting of, you know, a potential mate. Exactly. <laughs> Let's get biological, mate. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. It's a pretty strong driving force. <laughs> <laughs> but the great thing is that as consumers, as, as we learn, as we become educated, about the processes, what you know, what goes into making products and the impact of those products when we purchase it and then afterwards, is that we can take control of that. We can we have the power in our dollar to make a decision of you know putting it in a direction that's gonna, you know, be beneficial or be completely oblivious of its impact. I think while it is still really challenging and, you know, I, I don't think I've got all the answers on, you know, the sustainability front for apparel, um, is that it, when you, at least if you're buying a product and you're thinking about it, that change in thought, that little extra information sets you on the path to the next decision. So, you know, I, I, re reusable cups, coffee cups, I know people who did nothing in terms of sustain, you know, sustainable action before getting a cup because they like coffee, and now the next purchase for something else, they're going, oh, well, I could buy a more environmentally friendly product. So that mindset, I actually think the, the big change for sustainability is not technology. You know, we actually have enough technology to make significant change um, if you've seen the, I'm sure you've seen the 2040. You know there are there's a vast array of technology exists, but the big change that needs to happen for the sustainability frontier is our thinking. It's it's our culture, it's a way of viewing things. It's asking the right questions. You know, it's asking is this product what? Where does this product come from? What impact does it have? When we ask that, you know, we still may not come up with the most sustainable item because it is. A, a challenge out there to work it out, but it sets us on a path. And yeah. you know, I think you know, we have had a little discussion about martial arts, and I love that the modern karate kid—not the uh, the Cobra Kai or not the original Karate Kid, but the the one with uh, what's the Jay the Wing Chun Kid, as we should call him, the Wing Chun Kid. But Mister Mister Han, I think his name is, says that everything is kung fu. Everything is the way. And when we start to see everything we do in that sort of sustainable frame about, and then it's 
the great thing is is that it's also self-perpetuating in that when you do something that is more sustainable, you feel good about it. Yeah. And it releases, you know, the, the neurotransmitters, the opioids, serotonin, dopamine, you get a bit of a, you get an environmental hit. I've been sort of, you know, skirting around the edges of the, you know, the, the climate movement for a very long time. You know, I was reading the literature, you know, stuff like The World Without Us, you know, it was a kind of a, like a keystone book for me. I was reading for fun, you know, when I was at uni. But I think one of the shifts that I've observed, and I think for me, one of the reasons why we are seeing, you know, this ripple turn into a tidal wave, to borrow one of the phrases from your preparation, you know, is essentially, I think, the realisation of how behaviour change actually is sustained. You can shock someone into behaving differently once with a threat or a negative you know, punitive impact, right? But if you actually want to sustain behavior, you've got to change towards a progressive iteration of positive rewards. Absolutely. Um, and for a yeah. very long time, you know, and, and you know, I think you know, the social justice movement and various others, you know, have, I think, come to the same, you know, sort of uh, more sort of almost like a populist approach, right? That don't say no, don't say don't, don't go and take something away. Give them a better option. That's what you're doing. You're not saying don't buy clothing. You're giving a better choice. Yeah, and a, and a choice which has got a compound benefit. You're repurposing, you know, a, a very durable material. You know that could actually reduce your consumption, have a positive climate impact because X number of trees are going to be planted per item. You can feel good about that. You can look good doing it, and you can have a laugh as well, All right? I mean, we, absolutely. <laughs> and, and I'm so my, positive about what you're doing, you know. Like, I get it, and this is it. This is the kind of change that we need, right? So, um, now hats off again, man. It's great. Yeah, yeah. Well, and also that you know, certainly from my health background as a as a therapist, um, is that I also wanted, to, of course, produce something that was going to not going to have a negative health impact on, on people. And there is this perception about plastic out there about it being detrimental to people's health and there are elements of it certainly you know the figure that we consume the average person consumes up to about a credit card's worth of plastic a week and actually a lot of that is inhaled uh, comes from car tires that um, give off plastic into a a dust form (laughs) but but the evidence out there about polyester is that it doesn't leach into the body when it's worn and that the, the in and even for it leaching into water, it has to be at I think it's uh, 65 degrees for several days before it actually starts releasing releasing uh, toxic chemicals into the water that are a level that would be harmful to humans. Um, and and also the, the natural fibres, which are great and comfortable, but they tend to cottons, you know, bamboo even micromodal, they absorb moisture and. For underwear, you know, bacteria loves, you know, actually it thrives in the temperature of about, you know, 37 degrees, body temperature, and in a moist environment. <laughs> so we can't do anything about our body temperature. We won't be lowering that, and we certainly don't want to raise it too high. But we can wick moisture away from the body, which synthetics do very well. Yeah. Um, that's why all the performance apparel, um, you don't find there's not much in the way of performance apparel made out of natural fibres because it's much harder to make them do what that you want them to do. We can waste sweat and stretch so you can move. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, look, I mean, we've touched on you know, a lot of, uh, 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 of the key themes already, but I think one of the specific questions I'd like to ask, and this is, you know, the season of better world leaders when, you know, we're talking about doing better things, not doing things better. And that phrase, you know, I'm kind of carrying forward and honoring from, you know, our most downloaded episodes so far, which is Lean Goranson, a natural intelligence researcher. But again, I think, you know, you're not breaking the mold, right? You're not reinventing the wheel or anything, but you are doing better things here. You're transformational, not just transitioning and the way that you've weaved everything in. So, I mean, if, if someone's listening to this and they're like, right, yep, yeah, I'm on the website. I love what you're doing, but I'm also very curious about this guy, Brendan, you know, his ethos, his philosophy, you know, his outlook. And I'm curious about, you know, sort of what advice he might have 
And of course, this is a leadership podcast. So let's let's talk specifically about leadership. So I mean, what are the things that you would sort of say to a question like, what advice would you give to to someone listening to this as to how they can you know enter into a transformative leadership mode? To be a leader is uh, actually to start with yourself. That self leadership, and and we've talked about it before, is that. You've got to be able to direct yourself. I think, you know, in martial arts, a very strong value in martial arts is around self-discipline. And I really believe that self-discipline is the key to learning all other skills and applying all other values is that. Uh, but to do that, you know, you need to know what you're focused on. And I, I have, you know, this belief that you need to see the big picture and you need to be able to see the little picture. I think leadership is about, good leadership is about stepping back sometimes so that you can see the big picture, so that you can see things in perspective. And for me, that's that's been stepping back. And, I, you know, I, I, I would say that I haven't always done this, but it's something that I really work hard to do now is to step back at the way I do all my work, whether it's my work as a therapist and my work as the Smart Sundays gig, to being a parent is to step back and, and look at what is the big picture? How do we create a better world to live in for, for people, to interact, to have a better culture, but also to have a, a healthy world so that we can thrive and survive along with, you know, the, the diverse range of other species that we have to, we should be working to co, you know, habitate this planet with. Um, and then be able to step in again into the small picture and what are the things, what are those actions that we're going to take? What are the tasks that need to be done and how do they fit in with the overall objective? You know, and I think sometimes you either get, you get some leaders who are focused, so focused on the big picture that all of the small stuff falls apart and all of those little actions that need to be taken get missed out on. And so then there's not a great impact. Uh, and, I've, and I've certainly worked with leaders where they get very, focused on, you know, some of the minutiae and they just focused on the task for the task's sake and then they don't fulfil, you know, the benefits of, you know, the, the big picture. So that I think is the great challenge. I think it's probably the most difficult thing to do because you've got competing demands uh, in, in, the, in people's roles in leadership, particularly if you're working with other people or you have people that, you know, work for you. Um, but... That, that great skill, moving, be able to move back, step back, and then step in and backwards and forwards. It's very much fits in with the, the, the duality of mind, you know, that we need to see that, that we are these beings that are connected to everything, you know, everything, all of our, everything that we're made of has been in the universe forever. You know, there's no part of us that hasn't been around since the, you know, beginning of time, but we for this temporary life <laughs> right now, we are in this form, yeah, and that we deal in this form, we come across the everyday problems and challenges of being human. Uh, you know, we, we have, if you're, you know, for teenagers, as I said, you have hormones, they do strange things to our brains. We are affected by media, as we started talking about, you know, the impact of fashion, the impact, have you seen the social dilemma? You know, the, the, the way that algorithms are targeting us and they have, such a great insight into the human mind now because we've programmed them that way um, is that they touch on all our soft spots you know all these weak points that we have so we need to be able to you know nobody escapes you know being in the small space but we're going to need to the, the real strength is to be able to come out in the big space and the big picture um, at least occasionally <laughs> So could you speak to some of the specific, I suppose, sort of outcomes that you've received from you know, sort of focusing on this as a, as a practice almost and sort of having that in and out, you know, sort of motion in your own operation as a leader, as a self-leader and as a leader of others? Oh, absolutely. I think, well, uh, actually, I might start with my, my work in disability, actually, sure. because it's been a view of mine for, for you know, a very long time and something I I, put, I really um, highlight in uh, the work that I do when I'm training staff is that a lot of people come into the industry thinking that they're going to help, you know, the, the people with a the disability. They want to do good. They want to make a difference in a person's life. But I say to people their role is as just as 
important is their role in interacting with the community in the way that you speak to somebody, you interact with somebody with a disability, which should be like, you know, you pay respect and you're kind to anybody else in the community because that creates an observable model. People see that. So then that you, you really uh, improve people with a disability's life when you change the mentality of the community. The people don't see people with a disability as different. They just see them as people. So that effect that they have can be much greater than just the work that they're doing with the individual is that they can have a community effect. And I think we're seeing a world change. I mean, we've got the UN Convention for the Rights of People with a Disability now, you know, which Australia signed up to, that, you know, we are seeing that people as a whole need to be valued for their diversity. And on the Smart Eye Sundays front with sustainability, I knew that I wanted to make a contribution. I, I Originally, I was looking at you know, carbon offsetting with an organisation to plant some trees and I started off with, you know, okay, 10%, 5% actually, I started off of the profits would go to planting trees that offset carbon. Three Davids have led the path in my life and shined a light on a lot of things uh, in, in the world of sustainability. And that's been David Suzuki, David Bellamy and David Attenborough. So the, the, the three kings. <laughs> and certainly David Attenborough's last documentary, his witness statement, you know, um, for a long time I've been interested in sustainability and having reducing my impact, but it really pushed the needle for me as I decided, actually, I want to make the biggest contribution I think I can make and still sort of, you know, make a living if I, you know, if I can. And one of the great things that's come out of you know, starting this business, my connection with Half Cut, uh, and organi the organisation that um, raises funds to save rainforests and plant trees. And uh, I, I spoke to the founder, Jimmy, Jimmy Half Cut, and I said, look, I want to go in on this. I, I, I don't want to be half-assed. And so I want to commit 50% of the profits from Smart Us Undies to, you know, to planting trees and saving more rainforests. Um, and, you know, I, I look at a company, you know, the, the brand uh, who gives a crap and that they, you know, they have a commitment to 50% of their profits going to, you know, improving hygiene and building toilets and, you know, across the world in developing countries. And what a great model for business because everybody wins. You know, if you can create something, you give more, you get that back. You know, maybe you don't get it all back financially. But when you create a more sustainable world, you have better air quality, better water quality, you know, you know we maintain diversity. I think, you know, I want my children to grow up and see the range and the beautiful um, diversity in terms of, you know, plant and animal species that I've had the opportunity to, to witness, is that you win. Um, I, I think, you know, it's in the same light as, as, as Social Security. I've, um, interestingly, my best friend is actually... Um, at the polar ends in terms of um, you know, our world of work um, is in the you know oil is in the gas industry. We have you know huge debates, and it's always very challenging for me to see a different perspective. I think I you know I think we all need that uh, you know, at times, but we talk about when we talk about social security and you know people who don't have an income giving them money, uh, and you know the. the that those are in the realm of, you know, high income complain about how much tax they pay, uh, but they don't see the benefit. And I say, well, actually, you know, the more social, more money that goes into social security and our welfare system to have, you know, that base support, the less crime we have. And actually you raise people up, the less people are sick. So eventually you have less costs on the healthcare system. We're at a different stage now because we've got an ageing population. But actually, when we improve the condition for everybody, the whole society raises. That's the sort of view I try to have in all aspects of life. The greater good actually benefits us. So I'm you no know, selfish as anybody else is that I want my children to live in a safe world. You know, I want my children to have a clean and healthy world. Uh, so when the actions that I take um, that can get go at, seem to go out into the ether, actually, you know, I believe that they will come back in spades.
Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, we'll, we'll come back to Half Cut in a minute because we're sort of edging towards the, the sort of the end of this dialogue and we, we absolutely need to talk about Half Cut and, and the initiative that you're right in the midst of right now as this is broadcast. Just circling back to that who gives a crap example there. So it would have been, yeah, from if you're listening to this now as it's broadcast, it would have been about three or four weeks ago there was a not an expose, but it was it, it was an article that made a bit of a of a ripple in the Australian Financial Review, which is the sort of domestic equivalent of the Financial Times, that it was essentially looking at the profit for purpose model and really calling out, you know, some of the bigger Australian corporates who make a lot of noise about the the purposeful work that they do. When you actually break it down to the bottom line. It just doesn't reconcile, you know, who, who gives a crap? It's a great brand. You know, they're a really breakthrough organization, but they're a small business and they haven't been operating that long, but they're donating more than Qantas, which is the Australian domestic airline, if anyone's listening to this and, and isn't aware. And, and this is the thing. I mean, you know, we, the very first episode we had on here was Paul Dunn who's this phenomenally successful business person, but everything that he now points to in terms of an accolade or a, you know, a success that he's proud of is in relation to the charity that he runs B1 G1. And that's all about putting, you know, sort of the impact as a maximizer right up there as a, as an organizational goal, and then making very small iterative progress. You know, every time you buy a client, a cup of coffee, every time you put on a pair of underwear, you know, like, if you look right across every transaction in your life of any value and you orientate that value to it doing some good, but you don't have to actually change anything. You don't have to stop doing anything. You don't have to start doing anything radically different. You just make this little shift and your compound amplification of good is enormous. Um, and then, yeah, you're giving us some perfect examples again here so tell us about half cut tell us about what you're doing and this initiative that you, you and i can you know reflect on a little bit we've already had a little go at but uh, you, yeah tell us what this uh, this current yeah you know, sort of uh, fun frolicking do-gooding thing is that you're uh, you're having a pop at so uh, as i said before the name half cut comes from you know the uh, the, the fact that we're losing half the we've lost already half the world's forests, and they Jimmy Jimmy Halfcut. Uh, you may have seen you know some people walking around in August with half their beard shaved off, or perhaps half their head shaved off, or or, or tied back. So they Jimmy does this crazy thing. He he actually has. I think for several years now has been walking around in his life with half a beard <laughs> uh, to raise awareness uh, about deforestation and also and to raise funds. So uh, last year's fundraising was to purchase and save a uh, a section of the Daintree. I, I was completely oblivious. I thought the Daintree was protected, but uh, only a portion of it is. Uh, and currently uh, 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 quite a bit of it is being sold off. Um, uh, well, the the, fun, the the activity we're doing right now is in, in March is the uh, PSS challenge, the push-ups, squats, and sit-ups to, to raise awareness and raise funds. So and that every dollar uh, raised plants a tree, uh, and it plants a tree uh, that, that money goes in and plants trees as part of the uh, Trillion Tree Initiative. So the Trillion Tree Initiative is a global initiative with organisations coming together. You know, if we can plant uh, trillion trees by 2050, um, we will offset. Um, we can offset the carbon that we put out in the last 30 years. So, yeah, you know, trillion trees is a lot of money, but it starts with one at a time. And uh, you know, it, every push-up, every person that then supports and sponsors somebody to do that push-up, that sit-up, that squat makes a difference. So Half Cut's flavour really gels with uh, Smarter's undies. <laughs> they share a, we share a sense of humour. <laughs> no, I love it, man. And look, at this point in time, we can now say go back to your Instagram feed or my Instagram feed and check out, you know, the posts or the stories. I can't recall exactly how we did it. Yes, now, the Instagram stories. Brennan and I had a personal challenge and you'll have to go back and watch it to find out 
who won or lost, but uh, yes, we we did our push ups and squats and sit ups. Uh, yeah, well, Tim, uh, we can always say the winner was. We can announce the winner was the world. The world, that's right. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the person who came last had to throw in some money, and every dollar planted a tree. No, hundred percent. No, I love this initiative, and 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 this is something that um, yeah, we 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 come at it uh, at Four at, at I from a slightly different angle, just simply because we work with a different organisation. But you know, like in the midst of COVID, in our worst revenue year since founding, we went climate positive as a workforce, and, and you know, with with a range of initiatives, but one of them you know, is, is tree planting. Yeah. And in the, I think we're now in our eighth month or something like that. We, and our, the four eye forest, um, it has got over 900 trees in it. We're, we're a micro organization. And what we're doing for me is bare minimum, but that's 900 trees in nine months. Absolutely. Right. They weren't there before. Yeah. They weren't there before. Or, you know, if nature was going to put them there, you know, it might have taken longer and what we don't have time right now. No, that is right. Yeah. So, yeah. They're amazing. You know, it blows me away. When I see a tree now, you know, I, I look at it as this incredible machine that, that sucks up, you know, CO2, puts out oxygen, creates habitat. I like, love what's it. not to like? <laughs> I'm just, I'm going to finish with this one comment and then I'm going to go through your links so people can find you and check you out and, you know, get some smart ass Sundays on their asses and all that good stuff. But um, I think it was in mid February, Elon Musk put this tweet out saying that he would donate $10 million to whoever came up with the best technology for decarbonizing the atmosphere. And very quickly, somebody retweeted this and said, Who's getting ten million for inventing trees? <laughs> so Absolutely, like the technology. But that's it. there's more than enough technology. What we need to do is better things, and you know these compound, iterative, you know, beneficial, positive movements is uh, is is the way we deploy this technology. Technology is useless if it sits on the shelf. You've got to change behaviour to deploy the technology. That is the answer. Yes. Yeah. I guess technology is sexy. You know, people get attracted to it about something new and dynamic and shiny. But absolutely, planting trees is the is the simplest, it's the most efficient, and the most cost effective way uh, of you know reducing our CO two. Like, but underwear's underwear's sexy too, man. So you know they can. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, if you would like to buy some smart ass undies, you can do so at. Smart ass, A double S, undies, U N D I E S dot com. Now, um, you can get in touch with Brendan if you want to tell him how hilarious he is to his face, at, or at least his email at Brendan at smartassundies.com. Um, and if you scroll down now in the show notes, you can see the social links for Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And you can follow the Smart Ass brand and link in to Brendan right there. Mate, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for making some time, creating space in your mate's office. Um, but more than anything, sharing your wisdom and your passion and your love and joy of all things underwear. So it's been awesome. Thank you for your time. And uh, yeah, let's keep the dialogue moving. Oh, absolutely, Tim. Look, you know, that is one of the greatest things about you know, starting this gig is you know, my opportunity to connect with people like yourself, people you know, who give a shit and want to make a difference. And you know, the more that we share these stories, the more people uh, jump on board and want to do something themselves, you know, change the way that they lead, you know, create something new, move in a different direction or, you know, make different consumer choices. Very much appreciate you, you know, having me on today. No, mate, it's, it's been our pleasure. Any change for the good, is a move towards the greater good. So let's keep moving. Cheers. Virtual high five. Boom. That's COVID safe, right? <laughs> <laughs> Very COVID safe. <laughs> Thanks, man. Cheers, Tim. What a great start to the first season of 2021 and our third season overall. I had such a good time having that conversation with Brendan and, and, and creating that conversation to share with you. So I hope you have really enjoyed that experience as well. And of course, learn from it and 
benefit now from applying some of the wisdom that came from Brendan. Just to reflect on a few of the standout moments for me, I think yeah, there was there was simply so much in there. Um, but the key one really for me was was around mindset. I think so much of last year, the way that people reacted to you know, the same events, the same facts, you know, the same information, very differently comes down to mindset. And I think especially when you know I look back and I review and I try to understand how people become and really grow as better world leaders, I think mindset really is integral. And we can see that really coming through Brendan himself, his own journey and his experiences and the work that he's now doing in the world as well. And beyond that, I think the other one is is really sort of thinking about, you know, these two things that were really pivotal for Brendan. This step back and this look around this look up this look out you know having that perspective to think about how all the little elements all those sort of minutiae can gel together into this very big and powerful impactful picture of what can be created and how the second theme of collaboration and as to use his words and his phrase thinking about who he can work with to amplify his actions I think that's a really powerful fulcrum to work with. Looking at the big picture, knowing that it's not just about you and what you can do, but who you can find to bind with in a a resonant and amplifying force to have that much more impact and do that much more good in the world. Those were the standout points to me. I would be very curious and love to hear what has stood out for you. So feel free to get in touch through any of the 4i socials. They're all listed in the show notes below. And please do support Brendan and the work that he's doing with Smart Our Sundays. So his contact details, as well as the Smart Our Sundays website, are all in the show notes below. And if you haven't already, go and have a look at Jimmy Halfcut the PSS challenge. I know it's a bit late in the day now as this comes to air, but no doubt they'll be running this kind of stuff in the future and you can get involved. So for here and now, thank you. Thank you for your time and attention. Thank you for everything you are already doing to make the world better. I thank you in advance, if you would, to just share this episode with one person that you believe it will help and be in fact impactful to their leadership. And I look forward to seeing you and to sharing with you more with Better World Leaders. Take care. As always, great thanks and appreciation to the team who contributed to bringing Better World Leaders to you. To Brendan Ward for production of all audio recordings and composition and performance of original music throughout each episode. To Cooper and the team at Radio Hub Studios for technical support and creative guidance during the episodes that are recorded face-to-face. To Knock Knock Studios for website design, hosting and advice. And to Sarasa Design for logo and site graphics. You'll find audio and video recordings of this episode, as well as links to any specific recommendations or related resources that were mentioned today in the podcast area of 4iLeadership.com backslash insights. This is the Better World Leaders podcast, brought to you by 4i Leadership. world.